0: Thank you for tuning into the Relentless Pursuit Podcast, the foundation of equity where our Arkansans are having justice center dialogue to promote the equilibrium of humanity in the natural state and beyond. I'm your host, Crystal C. Mercer, native Arkansan artist, activist, poet. You can always find me in the digital space at crystalcmercer.com and on social media at C-C-M-E-R-C-E-R-T-O-O. And special thanks to our season sponsor and the reason we've all assembled to have these deeper dives, the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, WRF who exists to relentlessly pursue economic, educational, social, ethnic, and racial equity for all Arkansans. Ain't that all right? You can connect with them at wrfoundation.org and on social media. Winthrop Rockefeller found on Facebook. Oh on IG. I've been doing this too long. You can connect with them at wrfoundation.org and on social media at Winthrop Rockefeller Found on IG and wrfound on FB. This episode, like all others, we're talking to folks from all over the state about their draw to or passion for equity work, which brings me to our guest today, my brother, the... Reverend Ryan D. Davis, who, among many things, is the coordinator of the Arkansas Micah Fellows Program. Hey, Ryan. Hey. (laughs) Glad to be here. I am so glad to have you. I'm going to give the people just a little smidge about you because I definitely want you to talk more about your story and your work with the Micah Fellows Program. But just to give y'all a little taste of who Ryan is, first of all, he's he's everything. So he's the coordinator of the Michael Fellows Program. Uh, it's a fellowship that equips faith leaders in Arkansas to end poverty and advocate for economic justice, which is so needed. He's also the treasurer and co-founding board member of the Little Rock Freedom Fund. And if y'all know anything about our folks in these streets, they have been down here supporting organizers and activists from all across the state of Arkansas. You've also an accomplished author. Your writings have appeared in many publications and one of my favorites, Conversation in Color, with my other brother, Dr. Marquise McFerguson and an advocate for children, uh, you describe your work as working with the clay while it's still wet. I and also an ordained minister and a, a serial board member and among other things, just an all around good brother. So y'all are in for a treat today. Welcome to the show, Ryan. I'm going to
1: start describing myself as a serial board member.
0: I mean, he sits on the board. Yeah. So we want y'all to know he is advocating for you. And and I'm glad that you are sitting with me today. And before we get into your work with the Michael Fellows Program, which is so important, I want you to tell the people more about your life's work as an author, as an educator, as a, a minister, board member, community advocate. I mean, the list goes on. But how do you mold the clay while it's still wet in your work?
1: Well, I I think I'm proud to say that all of my work uh, confluences at at one particular space, and that is, um, you know, the space where people and the needs of people meet. And, um, you know, we unfortunately, um, you know, live in, I was going to say a time, but I don't know that there was any time in human history where uh, the needs of people uh, were not put below the needs of those who were in power or the wants of those uh, the craving interest of those who were in power. And so, um, you know, my, my call to ministry, um, the things that I can find time to commit myself to write about. And fortunately, I thank God in my daily work. Um, you know, I'm able to pursue those ends around the idea that people's worth is uh, not embodied in their employment. Uh, it's not mm. embodied in their economic status. People's ability to eat, to thrive, to be educated, to be uh, civically engaged um, you know is not um, not disconnected from um, their, their everyday lives. It's not disconnected from their poverty, not disconnected from, from their riches. So um, always trying to you know make those you know very necessary connections. In
0: work and, and yes. in life. Well, that you do. I, I think you over there, you on a different clock. You must have more than 24 hours in your day because see, you definitely keep yourself busy with the liberation of people. And the state of Arkansas, uh, the city of Little Rock, the world absolutely appreciates that. And I'm, I'm wondering, because, you know, we, we are children of this state. What is the thing that you love most about Arkansas?
1: What I love most about Arkansas. I mean, you know, um and I'm 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 real I'm glad for that question because I mean there's um there's a, a lot in the in the in the in the local zeitgeist about what is not good or what we and, and I mean certainly um, you know, for one thing, I don't expect people in general to be good. I only expect God to be good. Mm. And God was good enough to place me in Arkansas where there's not only natural beauty, but there's natal beauty, uh, in the people of Arkansas. And, you know, I'm, uh, generations deep from Arkansas. And so, you know, I love, um, the tenor and the character of my family and how that was built, uh, in the Arkansas Delta. Um, I love the rivers, the sticks, the rocks, the people, the food, um, you know, the culture, you know, all those things that we are reluctant to lay claim to or that get clouded over by, um, by the politics, unfortunately. So, you know, Arkansas, you know, does not leave. Uh, uh, um, remember me phrase that Arkansas does leave a lot to love. And we mm-hmm. leave a lot of that on the table when we're talking about Arkansas.
0: Ashe, but well, you know, I, I, I am following that up with <laughs> what do you find most challenging about our home state? Because there is a lot of beauty, as you describe, also generations deep into the natural state, all of the natural beauty, the people, the food. It, just, it, it feels like you were reciting a poem about where we're from, but because we are in the world of advocating for folks and in the world of dismantling systems and building systems that are more equitable, we know that that comes with challenges, even though there is beauty to be found and joy to be found in between. So what are some of the things either just as a native of the state or in your work that you find most challenging about our home here in Arkansas?
1: You know, I, I I would, you know, I think a lot of folks would agree that the most challenging thing is this swift uh, towards regressive politics. And, you know, people think that this is an exaggeration. But the fact of the matter is it looks very, very much like, um, you know, what happened in and around reconstruction in the state of Arkansas, where Arkansas elected a, a lot of black legislators, had a very progressive legislature, the legislature, uh, you know, was the first of its kind to guarantee universal public education for every child in the state of Arkansas. Uh, and because of the, the craven power interest of white supremacy, um, you know, they stripped all of that away. And Arkansas went from becoming what especially the Delta uh, went from becoming, you know, kind of a promised land for uh, blacks drivers uh, post-Civil War to, you know, being Um, you know, the area where the most lynchings happen in the state of Arkansas, you know, when, because because here's the deal, when, when, when the state invests in giving folks uh, opportunity, when the state invests in the education of its people, when it invests in the health of its people, um, and then the state always 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 it's on an upward trajectory but when we have the kind of aggressive politics that kind of crept back in so you know the Winter rockefeller era all the way up through you know great governors like david Pryor, uh great governors like dale bumpers uh even halfway decent governors like mike huckabee if you can believe it or not uh up through then and then we had this great shift um where we elected a republican supermajority in the state legislature and um you know we reach where we are today where you know we we're playing politics with the lives of people uh Mm -hmm. in the same way that the white supremacists played politics with the lives of people back in you know 1880 and such and so um you know, that, that kind of regressivism, the kind of aggressivism that um that pushes forth these very harmful narratives about poor people. Uh, the, that pushes very you know, that, that 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 lends um bad intentions to people who don't believe uh the way that we do. Uh the kind of recriminations from years of what I feel like are recriminations from years of democratic dominance in this state. And so, you know, we're I just Feel like so to answer your question, the, mm. the problem is we're moving backwards. Mm. Um, you know, we are divesting from public education. Uh, we're beginning to divest from public health. Uh, when we've had this great turnaround since 2010 in the public health of the state, uh, we're going to do something now that's going to affect rural hospitals and clinics. Um, so we'll be a less healthy, a less educated state. We're taking uh, the state's money. Uh, that should be used toward education, and just kind of throwing it in the wind and hoping for the best results. And <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. And uh, it just it's it's us marching backwards, and the folks who will suffer the most are the last and the least, uh, mm. the people who had um, a lot to lose in the current system anyway.
0: So with this aggressive regression, there are still folks like you, like me, people in the street who are continuing to press onward and forward and saying, well, I don't care where the needle is. I'm going to push it this way. <laughs> we're going in this oh, yeah. direction. And I know that that really ties into the work that you've been able to do over these past couple of years with the Micah's Fellow Program. And in its inaugural state, if you remember, covid COVIDy times. <laughs> so we were online yeah. Having a conversation, Uh it was the the call for the inaugural class to to apply, and there has been some traction in this work. So for folks who aren't familiar with the Michael Fellows Program, if you could just talk about that work that you do with them, some of the key players, and the key objectives for the fellows.
1: The Michael Fellows (laughs) Program is, of course, an Arkansas-based fellowship. It's a six-month Learning community developed to, excuse me, devoted to nurturing moral, moral leadership around anti poverty work in Arkansas, um, with the realization that nearly one out of every two households struggles to make ends meet in the state. So the idea is this that, uh, well, I'm sorry, let me, let me be clear on it. So uh, uh, the initiative is hosted by the Methodist Foundation for Arkansas with support from the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation. Um, We work with various faith based organizations like the Faith Matters Network based out of Tennessee um, and others to, you know, kind of achieve this work. We work with legislative partners like the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance, the Arkansas Public Policy Panel uh, and Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families to achieve these ends. The idea is this in the recruitment of fellows. We're asking ourselves what we're realizing. One thing, one, that the Pew research suggests. Uh, in the most recent poll from 2021, that Arkansas is one of the most religious states in the country, um, that um, seven out of 10 people in the state of Arkansas say that they attend some form of Christian church service at least once per month, uh, which puts us uh, somewhere within the top three, certainly within the top five, but in the top three of, of um, states for where people for whom church attendance is, is considered important. That being the case, um, you know we're saying that there is really kind of a captive audience of people uh, who need to hear this message about, uh, about equity, about anti-poverty work in the state of Arkansas. So we're recruiting and have done over two cohorts now, recruited uh, clergy and lay church leaders to enter this learning community. And um, to build a faith rooted network engaged in advocacy and moral leadership, and about advancing the narrative of economic equity in the state of Arkansas. Uh, All of the work is based out of the ALICE framework. um, And I think folks are uh, becoming more and more familiar with uh, ALICE. Uh, ALICE stands for Asset Limited, Income Constrained and Employed. And it refers to individuals and family with income above the federal poverty level, but below the basic cost of living threshold um, in this state. And so a lot of families are affected by that. And so you know we talked earlier about narrative change. And the Winter Rockefeller Foundation and working with a lot of different groups is, you know, really pushing forward what I think is a very important, necessary, and urgent discussion around narrative change. And so, you know, in this discussion. Uh, about narrative change uh, and the church and poor people in the state, we are pushing faith leaders, we're pushing congregations to really change the narrative, uh, these very dangerous and harmful narratives about people in poverty, and to promote accurate ones and to connect those things to their particular beliefs. There is, uh, in, in my faith tradition as a Christian, Uh, The idea among the prophets that God is a God of justice. You you see justice as an immediate theme in all of the prophetic works uh, within the biblical text. Um, And that justice means that we ought to feed the hungry, uh, that we ought to, um, you know, take care of the widow, that we ought to take care of the orphan, those things specifically. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean, you know, in this in this present age? You know, how do we answer the prophetic call from Micah? Micah Fellows is based off of the verse Micah 6, 8. But what does the Lord require if you accept that you do justice, love mercy, and walk with humility? What does that mean in practical terms? What does that mean in terms of how we influence policy in the state of Arkansas? What should we as, uh, as Christian people who believe in the prophetic mandate? Uh, what should we be doing? You know, when we leave Sunday service, what, do we do to lend ourselves to the building of the kingdom of God? But expanding beyond that, what exactly does that look like uh, when we go out and we talk about influence and policy? Um, You know, does it look like asking our government to increase the asset limits so that folks who are receiving SNAP assistance can save a little money because we realize that everybody is one hospital emergency or one uh, uh, car, you know, you know, mess up from, from, being down and out from having more month at the end of the money you know mm-hmm. um, uh, does it look like expanding Medicaid without some of these onerous work requirements because we realize that there's some folks who live down in Ashley County uh, in Parkdale, and I know, know some folks personally for whom no work is possible. There, There is no work. There are no volunteer opportunities to justify uh, the eating. And then in saying that, are we also saying that your value and your ability to eat every day should not be wrapped up in whether or not you, you can contribute to the labor market? That we ought to just be interested in folks being healthy and having some food to eat. Mm. You know, uh, that we ought not put a hole in the middle of our education budget in a way that's going to affect folks who are already affected by bad decisions to begin with you know divesting from uh public schools which currently uh educate more than 85% of the children in the state and you know taking money from them and just putting them in various other pockets without any real plans without any real um, um regulation and you know just just in ways that are really political and irresponsible And how does the church bring to bear some critique to the government? You know, I see folks from church, and I was very disappointed to see this. And there are several pastors who I know uh, who stood on the steps with um, a man who has not only said some very racist things, but certainly has said some very homophobic homophobic things. A former state senator who I will not mention um, stood on the steps with him for an uh, an anti-racist an anti-abortion rally and you know i won't speak on on the politics of that particular thing but i will say that I, i've not seen really any of those same folks um you know in the committee rooms when they're talking about defunding education when they're talking about um deregulating <clears throat> um, public education when they're talking about deregulating public education funds when they're talking about taking. Uh, uh food out of the mouths of people because uh, you know of the lack of proof of this or that i don't see those same people there and you know i offer that as a critique but I also offer it as an invitation because i think the other thing is is that uh the folks who are supposedly on the progressive side have not been as good as investing in educating in working with folks and in inviting folks to to understand these things
0: i want to touch on some things that you said to to bring me to this next this next point uh or this next question rather because you talk about the biblical text but then what does that mean in these contemporary times and putting that into practical use you talk about the regression and the politicking of this state that was on its way to being uh lush, Progressive, Healthy, educated place that is totally turning back the hands of of time, or or regressing to a space. Because because what is time if we don't see it moving forward? And that your work is putting this faith into into action. And as you're saying that there there needs to be some critique of the church as well of where you're directing these energies, where you're directing this message of of love. Injustice and caring for people, so I want to ask you, Ryan, how do we eradicate poverty through faith?
1: Well, you know, um, so one of the one of the um, the readings that we do as a part of the fellowship is a great uh, piece by uh, the theologian Walter Brueggemann, and it's called uh, "The Liturgy of Abundance and the Myth of Scarcity." And he talks about how scarcity was introduced into the biblical narrative by Pharaoh when he had Joseph uh, hoard and store up all of these grains and, and foodstuffs. And, you know, I know sometimes we, I, I grew up looking at this story as really this great honorable thing. But Walter Bruggemann kind of turned it on his head uh, or maybe he turned it right side up. Maybe we were looking at it on his head, um, turn it right side up to say that, you know, scarcity is a myth there's enough for everybody we don't have to hoard and store up and keep away and and push folks back and so i think it is as a matter of faith um uh, you know because if we can say on the one hand uh, with god all things are possible and we believe that if we can believe that um, you know god is going to provide for me according to his riches and glory um, if we believe that there is no failure in god if we believe that god is uh can be a healer provider and all those things a way maker and so on and so forth if we say those things we sing about them and if we believe them then we ought to also believe that there's enough food to go around there's enough internet access to go around there's Mm -hmm. enough good educators to go around there's enough uh, resources to, to push everybody into and through college or whatever kind of program they're going to there's enough of the of the things that make for a better life for everybody to go around that you know we don't have to put up these regulatory roadblocks we don't have to limit access um you know for 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 politics sake we don't have to push forth these narratives about how you know anybody receiving any type of aid except social security apparently are just a whole bunch Mm. of lazy folks you know and so i I think it's it's a matter of you know faith greed is not faithful there's nothing faithful about greediness Mm. um because you know I, i think about the parable of the talents where you know um Two of those, two of those folks took their the, the money that they were given, and they went and they and they they doubled it and were able to return return it double to their to their boss. And um, the other one took his and hid it in the ground and said, "Because you are, you know, I, I know you are a hard man. I ain't want nothing to do with your money. I just hold on to it until you came back to get it." I think he had a fundamental misunderstanding about who um, who God is. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, some of our theologies leave us to believe that God is just a, a punisher that God is, uh, we live, you know, in a perpetual crapshoot. Uh, but that's not my reading of the biblical text. And I think that some of it does begin with a better understanding of, 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 um, a a better epistemological understanding, you know, just a, a better theology in general. One that does not lead us to believe that some people are more valuable than others. Um, And then one that helps us to understand that there's more than enough for everybody, Mm. you know, that we ought to uh, invest in a liturgy of abundance and we ought to recognize that scarcity, you know, is a myth. I say Another one of the readings that we do is a, a knock at midnight. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought I froze for a second. I was just <laughs> saying, another of the readings that we do is A Knock at Midnight uh, by Reverend Dr. M.L. King. And, um, you know, in it, you know, and if I can just you know, do, do a bad uh, preface, or, or excuse me, a bad paraphrase, um, you know, he, he talks about is the church still a place that the lost wanderer comes to and knocks on the door of at midnight? And increasingly, that's not the case uh increasingly uh you know there are some folks who are really done with the institutional church Um, folks who grew up not having had any connection with the institutional church and folks for whom the institutional church really does not have any any uh relevance that there's nothing essential about being connected to it and so you know i'm not saying like we're in this great revival moment where we're going to resurrect the the, the reputation of the church. But -hmm. I think hopefully in building this cohort of people around the ideas of uh, Micah 6, 8 and around, you know, policy changes thereof, that it really is about, you know, I I was trying to hesitate to be grandiose, but anyway, I'm just (laughs) going to go ahead and say it, to really help, um, you know, the church to enter more some more relevant spaces Mm -hmm. and to you know really to serve the present age you know uh, in reality so
0: yeah it's more of a a living body that's growing and breathing and moving instead of in this static place where it could be considered dead it's very much alive through this study and the work that you're doing to affect policy and change and really have a community focus Oh, I definitely I mean, as simple as it sounds, that is grandiose because that is a tall order <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> to say we're bringing this into this era and to have people uh, who are leaders in the church, be they clergy or lay, to be leading this charge to say there is study because you talked about the readings that are involved uh, there. There are actionable items where you talk about we are we are yeah. working on policy reform and change we are working with communities about what they need if you can't meet a requirement here there shouldn't be a roadblock to your abundance so that is that is quite a a, a tall order that the Stella program is taking on and i just wonder if you could talk a little bit more to the people about how we be it in the fellowship program or just in general as Arkansans who care about this place that we live in, how do we put our faith into action?
1: Well, I think I tell folks all the time that there's a, there's at least 40,000 different disagreements in, Mm. in Christendom because there are about 40,000 different denominations uh so you know i imagine that that these denominations didn't form because they agreed with the other i think there was at least a smidgen of doctrinal disagreement um but i uh what i've i've yet to hear somebody disagree with the idea that faith without works is dead uh as the scripture tells us and so you know um I think we, we, we do have to really kind of think of and continue to reimagine, to re-enliven our faith in practical terms. I mean, you know, we already know that the definition of faith in, in Hebrews uh, is, you know, the substance of things, uh, the substance of things and the evidence of things. And those are actual, tangible things. There's, there should be some substance and some evidence in our faith, uh, some, you know, evidence. it should be if we proclaim it, then it ought to be evident that we have it in the things that we do. Um, You know, which is, I, I don't mean to be all ethereal, but I mean, you know, I think what it really means, you know, for the church that instead of just having a food pantry and I encourage churches to brace themselves and to really um, stock up their food pantry, talk to Tyson about getting more meat donations and talk to the farmers about getting more produce donations because if what is going to happen to SNAP benefits in Arkansas uh, is going to happen, you're going to have a lot of elderly folks in particular depending on food pantries. Not only just having a food pantry, but uh, why not connect with someone so that when a client comes to your food pantry, you can help Um, Mm assistance. You know, why not um you know connect with the arkansas hunger relief alliance and see how uh how churches as individual or as organizational den- denominational institutions can help them advocate for better policies around food uh in the state of arkansas um you know and so i think we just have to like really kind of extend ourselves beyond what we're used to doing um even if you know there's some level of coordination. Um, that churches can do with each other around alleviating hunger. Um, you know, if if we know that um, this divestment from public ed- public education is going to be dire in our communities, then we need to open our doors uh, on days beyond Sunday and Wednesday night, um, so that we can host after school programs. We need to commit more of our resources um, to after school programs, so that our children have a fighting chance uh, in a state where it seems like the government does not care about them having a fighting chance. So, you know, I think, you know, faith in action really just means extending ourselves beyond what we're used to doing. Um, So and like I said, again, I mean, I I get it. That's a tall order for for some. But I mean, you look at congregations like Teresa Hoover United Methodist Church and, uh, um, you know, I, I, I think that they are in many ways the standard bearers for. Um, you know, the church extending itself beyond the usual work. And you're not talking about a, a congregation of thousands. Mm. Um, You know, you're talking about a congregation of, you know, just a few very committed folks um, who are following through on a great vision. So, you know, I mean, I think, I, 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 I love what I saw during the tornado uh, emergency. There were several Baptist churches who got together. And I mean, they filled a whole 18-wheeler full of food to get to win and, and you know, some for uh, central Arkansas. And I'm, I'm always happy to see that we can come together in times of emergency um, and that we can, we can really coordinate. But I think sometimes we need to recognize that there are other latent emergencies uh, mm-hmm. among us. You know they don't look like emergencies. You know because the emergencies don't show up in our congregations. What we see show up in our congregations look polished and nice, and and um, you know they 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 you know said they look happy to be there. But the emergency lying right outside of our doors in our communities is something that we also need to be very attentive to. And I think that is a very drawn out way of saying that you know those are the those are some of the ways. Certainly not exhaustive. Um, Mm -hmm. that we can really evidence um, our faith.
0: So with Micah Fellows program and moving, having a second cohort and being very concentrated on this work, and those were all very (laughs) (laughs) viable suggestions offering what some of these emergencies are outside of disaster relief, but how we can, relieve our communities. They really need some aid and some care and resources and attention and love. What is the Michael Fellows Program doing moving forward? And what is the future of this work within that context?
1: Well, we have, we've just completed a, um, uh, most of a fellowship year, a second year, a second cohort. And uh, it was a smaller cohort uh, than the prior year. And, uh, you know, that was purposeful so that we could really kind of recalibrate and really figure out how to be uh, the most effective. And so the fellows uh, have an opportunity uh, through funds fortunately provided by the um, Methodist Foundation for Arkansas to uh, to access a non-com- non-competitive mini-grant um, to complete a project and so you'll see various uh, you know project that really uh, I think of them as as you know an, an ambulance is, is what is the plural of ambulance ambulances ambulances
0: ambulance. Ambulance. <laughs> the ambulance the ambulam.
1: ambulance the, the ambulance several ambulance <laughs> going in different directions see. <laughs> You know, the ambulance is not picking up everybody for the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. some people have a broken arm, some people have a heart attack. And so, you know, I I, I like that there's such variety among the projects. I mean, among them are, um, you know, uh, raising money to fund scholarships for to expand scholarships for the craft school up there in Mountain Home, Arkansas um some to um to to do workshops in various churches in Central Arkansas around youth mental health care one to to train um churches to be trauma informed i saw a post today and i was like this is perfect for the person who's doing that project that says that you know churches need to learn how to be trauma informed because it's not always the devil mm. you know what i'm saying and you know really you know talking about helping churches to equipment one uh that does expand the church's uh food pantry uh but also uh, connects the church's food pantry to the arkansas hunger relief alliance and trains the staff to sign folks up for snap assistance and also uh, trains the staffs to do the cooking matters program with children um and um, then one of them you know a very original one from a previous um, uh, fellow who extended her project into this year was what was called a people supper which is a facilitated dinner of community members and this one uh where well, the food was good number one there was like a smoked chicken gumbo oh. that gumbo I had in my life uh, yeah it was delicious you know the person who made it I'm gonna tell you <laughs> um but the smoked chicken gumbo and you know really talking about one about food deserts and so this person had her uh her city council city director, her state representative, uh, neighborhood association uh, members, and then just folks from the neighborhood who were at this dinner to talk about, you know, what are the actual day-to-day matters uh, connected to their community being a food desert and what solutions can they bring to bear? You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, just a a large variety of things. And, And I think, you know, sometimes we think that if we're not, you know, uh, uh, doing a direct service that we might be be doing a disservice. But I think I'm proud to see in these projects, folks thinking really long-term um, and understanding that some of these things do begin at the conversation level before anything mm-hmm. actionable can happen. Now, mind you, while we're having a conversation, there are people who are, who are hungry. Um, there are people who are, you know, yet starving and, and so, but, you know, just kind of have to, you know, Try to strike a balance in those things. So, anyway, I guess my point is there are a wide variety of projects. Um, um, but you know, when we when when, when folks are accepted into the microfellows Fellows program as fellows, what we also understand uh, from the application is that these people already have a certain level of desire and expertise. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's not a matter of us leading leading folks in, in any particular direction, but it is about you know providing some context, providing some um, some uh, narrative help. And, um and also providing some um um access I mean, you know access to resources um, mm-hmm. but the overarching goal of course is to build a statewide cohort of of, of of clergy and church lay leaders who are connected to these things for us to be sharing information across the state and we've had folks from 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 Chico County uh folks from Jonesboro folks from Northwest Arkansas folks from hope a lot of folks from Central Arkansas some folks from folks from Pine Bluff, folks from all over the state. And, um, you know, the goal is to push forward into next year. We will begin to accept applications for the next fellowship year uh, in the month of July.
0: Which is,
1: of course, fast approaching. And yeah.
0: So where can people get information about where to apply? Go and get the people where they can find you online.
1: We are at micafellowsprogram dot uh, that's my <laughs> dot org. Micafellowsprogram.org. And uh, you know, if you can't find that, just type in Micah Fellows program Arkansas. Uh, we're not the only program in the in the US named Micah Fellows, by the way. So uh uh
0: the know, Arkansas is very make sure important. You put Micah Fellows program. <laughs>
1: The Arkansas is very very important. But like I said, again, microfellowsprogram.org. Um, but I would also encourage folks to, you know, go to alicenar.org. That's alicenar.org. Um, because as I said, um, you know, a lot of the, the thrust of our work is based out of the ALICE framework and the research uh, therefrom, And so, um, you know, it's an important piece to look at. Um, especially when you're trying to determine if this is something that you know might interest you, if there are any any policy pieces that might, um, you know, that you might want to, excuse me, <clears throat> that you might want to connect to. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to cohort number three as it emerges, and all of the projects that you talked about, especially that facilitated dinner. My late father used to say that breaking bread was the highest form of fellowship. And so, oh, yes, yeah, he's <laughs> like that. The spring brings so. brings the dry times, uh, but breaking right. bread is the highest form of fellowship. And uh, the more we get together, the happier we'll be. And I hope that's the case as, as we keep forging towards this, this equity work here in the state of Arkansas. I wonder, Ryan, if there is anything else before we bring our time to a close today that you want to share with the people about your work in various places, because he working everywhere, y'all, or particularly anything else with the Micah Fellows Program in Arkansas. Very important.
1: Yeah. You know, I just want to say that that, that's, I think, you know, an unfortunate unifying factor uh, no matter what your your politics suggest, is that Arkansas is still a poor state. Um Arkansas is still a state where uh, uh, about one in five children um, are food insecure. Arkansas is still a very undereducated state, an undertrained uh, state. I just I think that there is a time, a moment for all of us, again, from you know, left to right center, or whatever we we're calling ourselves these days, to really pull back and to look at, you know, uh, what the common effects of some of these really pernicious things that we're doing. And I'm not asking the church to align itself with any particular political cause. I'm saying that the church needs to start aligning itself with people, mm. uh, that, uh, there's an opportunity. There's a call for the church to get on the side of, of, of everyday people. And, you know, I hope that, you know, we can receive that. I know that these times are politically fraught and I don't I don't I don't know what to do with that, what to do about that. But um, we got to get together. We got to get together at some
0: point. I say Well, let's get together sooner than later for the people out sooner there than later. <laughs> and before we end the show, we we like to. Say a quote or a poem or, or words of encouragement before we depart from this space and time together, because no doubt someone is out there relentlessly pursuing something in their heart. And today's feature, I, I thought very deeply about this. Uh their work aligns, in my estimation, with the work that you're doing in Arkansas, Ryan. And, and this person is one of my favorite civil rights activists, and his name is Bayard Rustin. And he said. The real radical is that person who has the vision of equality and is willing to do those things that bring reality closer to that vision. And Ryan, I can indeed say that you are a real radical and your work (laughs) is empirical evidence of that fact. So I'm just so grateful. Right on that you were able to not only sit on the boards, but sit with me today and and talk about all that you do. And, and I want to thank you all out there for tuning into the Relentless Pursuit podcast, the Foundation of Equity, where Arkansans have justice-centered dialogue to promote the equilibrium of humanity and the natural state and beyond. I always have a fabulous time with Ryan, but today was so special. Uh, who He is the program coordinator for the Arkansas Let's Get It Right, Michael Fellows Program. And I'm your host, Crystal C. Mercer. And thank you again to our season sponsor, the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace.